It's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? They can see it in my eyes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Jonathan Title Podcast, brought to you by Mosh Pit Nation. This week's guest is Derek Williams, a.k.a. Black Canvas. Uh, A little bit about Derek and I. We used to live together and work together, as you'll end up hearing in this episode. Over the last handful of years, though, where I started kind of going more into booking my own shows and doing more of music in that realm, Derek ended up kind of deciding he wanted to try his hand at hip-hop and and rapping and so forth. And admittedly, in the beginning, it was a little rough, just like anybody is when they try to make their own art, their own music. Uh, It takes a lot of figuring out who you are and what voice is yours as opposed to just kind of being a copy of what you like. Uh, I definitely think that's that's in any hip-hop that I've ever listened to. You can definitely see an organic growth of someone who starts off doing something and you can kind of tell the obvious influences that they have to where they end up becoming a handful of time later, whether it be months, years, whatever, uh, as they end up finding their own voice and becoming comfortable with, with that. Uh, It definitely applies to any musician, whether it be guitar players, bands as a whole, uh, you know, music's all cyclical like that. It doesn't matter what genre of music that you are doing. Typically, I don't think I have had a rapper on this podcast, Um, but something, as you'll kind of end up hearing me say during the podcast chat with Derek, is there's kind of a lot to me that a lot of people don't know that I'm into. Um, case in point, we, my wife and I were having an Uber ride the other night, and this gentleman was listening to something. I don't know what exactly. And as the person, the radio personality was talking, it was called like the Sweat House or something like that, and I was like, is this Keith Sweat? And the guy was like, yeah, he has a channel or a radio show on once a week, blah, 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 and was kind of explaining all that to me. And I was like, oh, man, like was telling a story about how the Keith Sweat self-titled uh, tape was one of my most stolen albums uh, for a long period of time. And the gentleman kind of looked back at me, and you know, I think he said that he was in his 50s or so and remembered when Keith Sweat was you know, just coming up. And I don't necessarily remember that point in time, but I do remember when that, that self-titled record came out and Nobody and Twisted and a lot of the other songs off of that record you know, really had a big, you know, were big hits. Uh, and I really love that record. I still listen to it a lot. Uh, then, you know, I mentioned, you know, after the success of that, you know, he started up uh, LSG, Levert, Sweat, and uh, Gill. Uh, it was like a power group of sorts of like the early 80s, late 80s, early 90s uh, R&B kind of dudes. And the guy just kind of looked at me and was like, you know, I definitely wouldn't have figured you like music like this between your age and just kind of how you look. Um, and I think that's kind of very indicative of Derek and I's friendship. Uh, I know over the time of, over the course of knowing him for almost 10 years at this point, you know, when I worked with him, he was just kind of out of high school, maybe within a few years. And, you know, there's a seven or eight year age gap between the two of us. So at times it's very obvious, uh, with some of the things that are, have happened in our lives and so forth. But I mean, through it all, we've been friends. We've had, uh, the loss of two, two of the people that have lived here at the house, uh, within a very short amount of time of each other. So, I mean, we're kind of always bonded by a lot of things that happened in a very short amount of time of, of our friendship. 
But be that as it may, um, very much like I did with the Bringing Down Broadway and the episode with Brandon from Lake Effect uh, a couple weeks ago, something I want to do is I want to try to lo- showcase local talent. Um, just because it's a local person doesn't necessarily mean that they don't deserve to be put on a bigger scale, uh, maybe then and, and a bigger reach than maybe they have currently on their own. And I have seen the work that Derek puts into his, his craft, uh, and he is a very ambitious, goal-oriented person, and I'm always attracted to those kind of people. I I like being around those kind of people because they they make me want to be better and to achieve my own goals and stuff that I set for myself. So, I mean, the old saying, surround yourself with the people you want to be like, and Derek is definitely one of those people um, that always, you know, we get together, we'll usually have some drinks, as you kind of hear in this, uh, we'll have a, a little smoke on occasion, and we just kind of talk about our lives and just shit. Like we we just have a good time having conversations with each other. Sometimes it's it's bullshit and it's just all in good humor and and for a laugh. And other times it's about really serious shit. And I think at the end of the day, that's pretty much what I think a podcast really is for. And so we recently did one before we did this chat, and I think we maybe we make mention of that. But the unfortunate thing is, is as I remember doing it, I felt a little insecure about how I came across. Um, the unfortunate thing with the world we live in now of there being separation of races and so forth, I felt like people may not understand that Derek and I, how far back our friendship goes and how deep our friendship is to where when we talk, it's not necessarily like me being a white person and Derek being, you know, a black African-American gentleman. It's just two people talking. And facts are facts, and, you know, we may have opinions that slightly differ or whatever, but we don't ever let it get the best of us because, you know, there's a racial divide. Um, I think, if anything, it allows both him and I to actually have a lot more meaningful conversations because... I can say something from my perspective that maybe he hasn't thought of, but maybe he can speak intelligently on his behalf and tell me and share some experiences that he's gone through that I never will and I don't necessarily understand. So I think it's a it's a good thing, and it's it's kind of a it's kind of where we are as a society, I guess. Um, and I think at the end of the day, there was uh, a post that Derek had put on his Facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago, leading up to this conversation. And unfortunately, like, I was just trying to have a conversation, but I voiced my opinion on something that Derek said that was sort of race-driven, and I said, I don't think it has anything to do with a specific race. I think it has to do with an age group, and I know we ended up talking about that on this podcast, so I'm not going to get too much into that. But the thing was is I, I felt like I had to tread lightly uh, due to someone might, you know, possibly not knowing who I am or what I've been through or anything and saying that my opinions aren't valid because of my skin color. And I think... There's a little bit of irony in that if someone were to do that, um, given, you know, the light, in light of what the actual message was that we were both trying to convey within our, our uh, sentiments. But as a whole, um, Derek is one of those people, like I said, he has been putting the time in into his craft. I think he's got a lot to say. I think he is, like I said, one of the small handful of people I know that's of, you know, that young mid-20s where, you know, the world is kind of at your fingertips, but you can still, like, the world is at your fingertips, but on the same token that a lot of bullshit can get in the way as far as, like, what can cloud you as far as friends, jobs, so forth. Like, I know when I was in my mid-20s, 
I kind of was starting to think about where I wanted to be in the next five years. I had maybe just started dating my wife around that, what would become my wife at that point. And so it's interesting to try to almost kind of see how my parents are with me when we talk about things where, you know, my dad or my mom will give me advice and they go, you know, like when we were your age, blah, 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 blah. And, and I realize I say that a lot, blah, 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 to kind of get through the point. But uh, I realize that I kind of do that with Derek sometimes where, like, where we have conversations and, you know, we'll have like an hour, two hour long conversation about something. And I realize like I always preface by being like, you know, this is like what how I went through things when I was your age and I know like it's your life and you have a different life than I do and so and so on. But, you know, I think these same f- principles of life apply to me then as they do to you now um so it's kind of interesting to try to to be a little bit of a not a mentor but just someone who like is trying to pass along information and knowledge that that you know i've gained over my years of dealing with people and especially once we start talking about music stuff you know like i've kind of been some places that and taken my my booking career and so forth places that he's not been i know i have connections with people who on a local level and so forth, like can help him, I think. And, you know, I, I just really want to work with Derek to try to get him in front of people that may not, would maybe not, he would maybe not be getting in front of ordinarily. And I just think that's, that's all it really is. I think like if you believe in someone and you got friends that you, you know, are doing their thing and you believe in it, like you should try to put them on and, and try to get them in front of whoever you can uh, because that's that's what it's all about, you know, helping helping your friends succeed in any way you can. So this is a long ass intro, um, but I just really wanted to preface this because uh, what I don't want is I don't want anyone to come back on me and try to, you know, say some bullshit without understanding where Derek and I's relationship is, where it has been. I mean, at one point we went through some shit. Um, I kicked him out of the house over some some childish shit kind of but I mean that kind of speaks to what I was saying earlier where that's where I just think the age difference at times comes into play and I think it shows even more how strong we are as friends because in light of some of the bullshit we went through we both were able to kind of put it aside and realize that sometimes like money and and other things like that it's fucking petty and at the end of the day a friendship means more than those kind of things so um yeah so without further ado this is my conversation with Derek Williams aka Black Canvas So, we are going to give this another try. I have Derek Williams, a.k.a. Black Canvas, a.k.a. Derek Wills, a.k.a. Williams the Lion, a.k.a. I'm short on rent, a.k.a. <laughs> you stupid as hell. Uh, sitting with me here in my office, testing out my new microphones and such. Uh, a while back, we actually tried doing a podcast, and I just generally thought it didn't come across the way I, I wanted it to and on par with how I do this. It was so, a little racy. <laughs> it's a little hard to say that when you're the one that doesn't come across racist. 
And I don't think I, I legitimately come across racism. No, he doesn't. Since people don't know you or I or our relationship. Uh, and in the world we live in now with everything happening politically and all that kind of stuff, it's just easier to err on the side of caution. Um, so... Let's do this typically the way I normally would do, and let's kind of get a little bit of a background about you before we kind of get into how you got into wanting to be an MC and being involved in the, in the rap scene as a okay. whole, locally and so forth. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you how you came to be you? Well, man, um, I'll start with my grandmother because that's that's basically who raised me, and that's where my story starts, man. She was an only child. She moved uh, early when she was little from Mississippi to California, actually. And while she was in California, she ended up having my mom and a few of her other kids before she moved to Michigan. She ultimately ended up having 10 kids. But by the time she got to Michigan, my mom already had my older brother, Dantes, who ended up passing when I was six. But he was here doing his thing. I was 20. He was uh, 18, I believe, when I was born. I was born in 91. He died when I when he was 24, so yeah, I was six. So yeah, and then my little brother David was—he's five and a half years younger than me. He's 21 now. But so my grandmother was raising us since the early 90s on the southeast side of Grand Rapids, you know, East Town, Uptown, Bemis area. You know, what I'm saying everybody know what's up who from here, man. But it was um yeah, it was hard times, but it was you know it was beautiful, man. I learned a lot. She taught us. Lessons you wouldn't typically learn out here anywhere. So it's like she uh, made us all strong. Like what? What kind of lessons are you referring to? I mean, it shows through in the, you know what I'm saying, the way we carry ourselves, the way we value knowledge, the way we um, respect our elders, the way we raise our children, even though we were raised and didn't have fathers because a lot of what was going on, she had to raise us because either our moms was out doing anything Sometimes it was drug related. Sometimes it was, you know, it was a lot of crazy things going on. But a lot of us didn't have our dads either. So she instilled in us that even though we came from that chaos, that that wasn't proper. And all the men in my family raised their children. You know what I'm saying? I see my, my cousins and they, they ch- their young children all the time. My relationships with them are good. And we fostered those relationships to them so they foster it with their children and so on. So it won't be like it was for us. With you and I kind of being slightly different in age, I think collectively we are probably like six or seven years difference in age. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's enough of a generational gap sort of to where some of the things you were just kind of speaking on are things that we have constant conversations about when we hang out. Uh, most notably, you posted something on Facebook, and we'll, we'll kind of get to that a little bit later. Just kind of about how people in your in the workspace you have in your age group kind of just don't ha- take any pride in in having a sense of work ethic and so forth and it's something I kind of noticed and something I think collectively between like when we first met something I kind of noticed about you as a whole is just that like you have a commitment to just kind of always be hustling whether it's hustling at work and trying to like you know just make a name for yourself and know that you're a reliable individual and can and kind of get the work done that needs to be done excuse me to working on stuff outside of work and just kind of always being like, you know, if you need someone to help you with something, like, I'm there. If you, when you got into, like, your music and stuff like that or into going to school, you know, like, you apply yourself very diligently across all, like, everything. And I tend to not find that that's something that people in your age group are are very good at. Uh, Actually, I would almost say to the contrary, where a lot of people are like, how much responsibility can I shuck off the... (laughs) 
in order to succeed. Like, there's there's a girl that I worked with. She no longer is there, and it doesn't have anything to do with this, but she was legitimately bitching that she got a five-bedroom house, got a bunch of people to live with her and her girlfriend, and then they decided they don't want to be there no more, so she bounced, got a new place with her and her lady, and her dad wasn't going to pay for both places. So her dad's still paying for the rent at the one place, but she was responsible for the rent at this other place. And she's like, it's so unfair. And I was like, the hell you're like 20-something years old, <laughs> and your dad's still paying your rent, and you're bitching because Shit, you, that's you made unfair. a completely different decision for yourself, which is fine, but you you basically are trying to like be, put the blame on someone else for the repercussions of your actions. And I feel like people that are younger than me and even to a degree people my age as well i'm not going to like single my my age group out but i feel like i just consistently see people like not giving a shit about work ethic and stuff and so i mean to me to hear that like you were raised very similarly similarly to how i was raised where it's like you know your word is your bond and like you know you gotta people gotta trust you and know that you when they ask you to do something you're gonna fucking do it and i feel like I just don't see that in people younger than me, and I don't know what it is. Like, can you maybe help me figure out why the fuck that is? Dude, it's a fucking my ass mom lost in myself, <laughs> man. Like, for real, though, man, because it's like, like you just said, you know, I appreciate the compliment, but I want to get stuff done, so I work at it. I know um, other young people who my age group who work hard, too, and today things, some of them more successful or less successful than myself in the same endeavor or different ones, but... I know some hard workers as well, but the the problem is though that's not common across the board. And I don't know really what it is, man. Because it's I, man, I don't know. I don't want to sound old school, but it got something to do with you know. It all goes back to the home, man. Because it's like we grew up. I don't know watching the same cartoons. We both we all watched the fucking Twin Towers fall. Other than that, the only thing that's different is what happened in your house behind closed doors. So. You know, if it wasn't nothing just extreme and you just being a lazy individual, then I don't know what to fucking tell you. But it's like, you know what I'm saying? I don't, you know, people tripping, man. It's these times kind of bad, too, but that's not an excuse. But I guess that just opens the field more for the individual who can put the work in to excel and rise in his field of choice. So something, you know, you, you mentioned that your grandmother raised 10 kids. And I feel like that's something like my my dad comes from a large family. My mother like her fa- her father comes from a large family and like you know a lot of them worked uh like my mom's side of the family has like we're known for like being farmers and agriculturalists and so forth and what's interesting to me is in thinking about families that had large extended families and so forth you know I never really like they always would talk about how times were hard but something I never really hear that I hear a whole lot more of is like, well, I can't succeed in light of how hard life is right now. And this is something we ended up talking about towards the very end when we were turned off the mics on the last attempt at doing this, where we kind of talked about gentrification in, in ours here in Grand Rapids. And something I've not really thought of uh, up until the last few years, like seeing it firsthand, because I mean, it's like Grand Rapids is growing so exponentially like there's a there's two houses over on on uh, Michigan Avenue where like that hospital is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And those look so fucking run down. Like they like if you were to like and they would just fall over. <laughs> like I don't know how they pass any kind of city inspection or anything like that just from the looks of it. And I mean I'm judging a book by its cover legitimately. But like I see those and they are building literally everything right on top of these motherfuckers that eventually they're going to be like, well, either you're going to cut me that check that's just going to make me finally move out of this house and you can tear it down and do whatever you want. But, you know, I'm thinking about 
or I have been thinking about, you know, my family and a lot of families that come from big families and how a lot of people are losing their family homes to, to new industries and new businesses and, and, and all these kind of things. Gentrification, basically, kind of taking away, like, our history. And so it kind of makes me wonder, too, to a degree, like, why am I not hearing... Is it because, I, like, so many people are just looking for the easy way out? Or is it because people aren't willing to put in the work? Or is it lack of education or all of the above that people aren't able to get out of these situations when seemingly when it was worse, like, 40, 50 years ago, people were able to kind of, like, just get the, like, put their nose to the grindstone and somehow fucking hustle out of it? What do you, what do you think it is as someone who kind of, in a completely different kind of scenario, because, like, my family's all from back east. So, I mean, that's a completely different, you know, world than being out here and, and so forth, so... Like, what What do you think attributes to, I guess, the generations, like, wanting to, to not throw excuses out there, to, to take pity on them? Um, in my experience, man, I would have to say, one, it falls on the times, the way the generations were raised and what they went through and how that translated to, you know, the generation after them. I guess I would have to start for just from my experience, if you go as far as back to because we can talk about housing real quick to where there was a time when it was known that basically if you were black, they wouldn't allow you housing in certain areas. They would try to group you in certain areas or not, you know, what I'm saying allow you to buy housing in certain areas just because you black to try to control the housing market or get better areas to other, you know what I'm saying, skin-colored people, maybe mainly white people at the time. So, if you take that into effect, and then you think about the same things with schools and how that can affect schools and every other aspect of everything that's being used, not to say that's an excuse, but if you just consider that for a moment, just take a generation, I'm, I'm myself a generation one or two after to when that was cool to do. So, if you coming from a generation that don't know to invest in buying in their homes and paying, you know, and pushing money into their communities to grow their communities and whatnot, then you per se won't be able to teach that to your children who won't teach that to their children. So I guess there can knowledge like that can get lost. I'm not uh, once again, I'm not saying it's an excuse, but that's just in a reality. You know, that's I will say from my experience. But in the same hand, I'm a person who grew up with certain things and even though I lived in situations that were hard where money was tight I was still able to learn certain lessons from my elders where like I just said though everybody might not have access to those lessons so I guess when you translate that into where I am now as a 26 year old in the workforce per se um I'm the first electrician in my family um, you know, I, I just started my apprenticeship, but that's not something that's common. Like, I'm definitely blazing new trails. But the people who brought me up were the ones who inspired me to go back to school for uh, we wanted to get into housing and, you know, flipping these homes and, re you know, doing all of that. But I ended up falling into electrical and it was a good opportunity. But it was my older cousins who actually was like, Derek, you should go back to school because originally I went to school for nursing and I was going to finish for nursing. But... <clears throat> Excuse me. This was something I could do with my family. And that's once again, something that a lot of people basically, like I was saying back with black people, don't get to do is build stuff with their families or they don't know to do that. Or it's a lot of backbiting and tearing down. And, you know, we going hard with what we do, you know, Oxford gang to change all that. 
So it's like I learned to do that. So that's something I want to learn and carry into the lessons I teach people. So I guess um, I guess to get back on subject, though, I learned um, we got something we want to work on. So we start collectively working towards wanting to do that. But that comes from learning that from my grandmother, who at some point in time had to choose to pick that, you know, stone up and pass that along. She's a very intelligent woman. She's still alive now. But it's just certain things she's shown us over the years to where it's like she may not have been shown that, but she put us in a position to learn that lesson and carry it forward. So a lot of people don't have that. And then I guess that's not an excuse to not work hard, but I think it's a combination of I read an article on the Internet. I don't know how true it is, but it spoke about how now as uh, young people, we may not have the opportunities to the way our parents were able to be successful. We can't per se be successful in those same ways, just as easy as it was for them due to the times and the way the baby boom happened, et cetera, et cetera. I think we as young people are the most expendable asset of age group right now. So it's about establishing yourself there properly. And it's kind of a rat race, unfortunately, but it's kind of all based on what you started with and, you know, what kind of knowledge you got and how you were able to carry it. So between that, certain disadvantages being set up by the system or just where your dice rolled, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's it's a tiered system that's somewhat stacked against certain people. But that also doesn't prevent outside influence from taking place. So it's funny you kind of mentioned that. Your grandmother took it upon herself to pass down information and knowledge that she's learned. And I think that's kind of what anybody who is in that familial relationship with having younger generations below them is you try to expound upon the wisdom that you've given or you've learned and give it to them so they don't not only make the same mistakes, but maybe they can kind of fast track to some of the the successes that you were able to have. I know that's something like my dad always talks about, like, you know, he... It may take an hour and a half to tell me a lesson, but, like, at the end of the day, the whole point is so, like, if in that hour and a half, like, I don't spend two, three years learning from or making the same mistake he made. But, you know, everybody didn't learn that. So, you know what I'm saying? There's there is that for sure. But what's funny, and I was thinking about this the other day because I and it's just like this, like, where it kind of made me, like, want to cut stuff out from the last episode. But, like, I think what I'm about to say, I think, you know, because I recently rewatched this movie. And it's, it's still fucking relevant. And everything that's said in it is still true, which makes me firmly believe that the lessons I learned from within this movie, even though it shouldn't necessarily apply to me, I apply it to my life. Because, I mean, anything that is real is real. It's, it's based on fact or whatever. And if you can apply that knowledge in an applicable way to your life and, and be prosperous in it, then, like, how is that not legit? But... I was recently rewatching for like the 40th or 50th time Boys in the Hood and I'm reminded of the scene where Furious takes uh god you would think I'd remember the names too um but when he takes uh Cuba Gooding Jr. and Morris Chestnut's character and he talks about how there's so many liquor stores in all like the, the ghettos and why they do that and then you see like these truth ads basically saying almost 20 some 25 years later I think at this point they're basically re-saying that same shit. Like, wow, isn't it crazy how we have liquor stores in the ghetto? There's, like, so many liquor stores so we can basically keep these people down. And it's, like... And I kind of think about that in a completely different way, though, too, where it's, like, there's so much in Boys in the Hood where it's, like, you know... 
Ricky, like, you know, he was a great football player, but he didn't really apply himself academically until he realized, like, shit, I need the academics to help me get to where I need to go so my football skills can take me to the level of getting paid and, and take my family out of the situation. And I think, you know, it, it definitely shows that every generation wants to be better than the one before them. Like, I want to be better than my parents. And, you know, we always hear this, but what does that look like? You know, like, you really think about that. Like, what does that actually look like for people? And, you know, it's kind of where you were saying, like, how you were reading about how, like, baby boomers, like, started off and they have a better position in the same jobs that we're trying to go for now and people our age. You know, I was watching this video on the internet and I'm surprised they didn't just spread like wildfire, which I don't know if it's because the, the message is so fucking spot on that people didn't want to, like, share it and be like, this... Or if you, it just went over people's heads. Like, sometimes with some real shit, I just don't know if people don't get it or they're afraid to share it and look bad. But, like, if this dude was like, okay, we're going to have a race, and this race is for, like, $100 or whatever the fuck it was for. It was some, some petty prize of cash. And the guy goes, okay, so I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to get further along in the race. If you've never gone without a meal, if you've never blah, 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 take a step forward, and, like, people were, like, just taking these monster steps forward and all this kind of shit, and then there's a lot of people left behind. Mostly black. And then he was like, all right, now I want everyone to turn around at the end of this, the, the, if you haven't done this. Like, it's it's kind of like the most saddest game of, like, I never, ha or never have I ever. And I was just like, man, I can't believe, like, A, as a white teacher, this dude was allowed to do this. Because, like, I feel like people wouldn't, I feel like the fucked up part is, I feel like the privileged white families would be like, I don't like how you made my kid look. Like, how do you know where they came from, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I never justify, I never said that they were anything. I just said, if you haven't experienced these things, take a step forward. I'm not saying that you're, you're overprivileged or anything like that. I'm just trying to make a point for everybody to see that not everyone has the same starting point as everybody. You know what I'm saying? And like you said, this is before the race even starts. Before it even starts. So it's just to think about not being taught, basically, Hey, dog, before this race even start, look where you at. Picture not learning that lesson properly, having to pick up that ball along the way, and you got to play catch up. I'm just saying, it's, it's a lot of people who get, whether it be prison, the prison system, having these kids out here early, uh, just the various pitfalls for men in general, men, women, white, black in general, everybody, you know what I'm saying? But the pitfalls before you even start the race. But it's just... But it didn't stop all those people from racing. They still chose to race. Right. And it's, and it's the, the thing is, though, you got to still race out here. And it's just like from my position where basically if I was to put myself in the same rule set he used, it would have been a lot of people ahead of me in that race. But I learned from a lot of people who started the race late themselves who still wound up way ahead. Like, hey, dog, you can do this or people, watch this lesson. You know what I'm saying? Because like perfect example, my mother. Uh, she has some uh, some stumbles in the beginning, but ultimately she was able to turn her life around, get to a place where ultimately she was able to live everything she wanted, be able to spend money she wanted to, be able to do a lot of things that she ultimately had to put in a lot of work and play a lot of catch up to be able to do that per se. Some people who maybe take for granted they position on that in that race and where they start from may not realize the actual gravity of Dude, you drive whatever you want to, all your bills paid, and it's gas in the car. You eat whatever the fuck you want to. To some people, that's a big thing. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's people who live in debt. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just real out here. 
I think it's been kind of crazy. Like, we are recording this a day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and, like, my wife and I went to the Lions game last night, and they lost. And, and that is what Of course. The, uh, they won in, in spectacular fashion, working down the last 30 seconds, like a typical <laughs> Lions game. You know, um, they gotta get you excited. But the thing, you know, that's been interesting in the last couple of years, like, her and I both come from, I would say, lower middle class. For sure. And working hard to get what we have is not lost on us. Like, we were making the comment the other day when she was like, well, what do you want for Christmas? You know, I mean, just kind of the thing couples do. And I was like, I don't need anything. I was like, I, I wanted an Xbox. I wanted the new Xbox. I fucking busted my ass. I worked overtime. I saved my money. I sold some shit I, I didn't need or had less of a need for than what I wanted. And it is a want. But I was like, I already got the thing I really wanted because I busted my ass to get it. And, you know, like, she basically just had the same thing, like, where she got a newer car because, like, her car that was better than the one she had, like, she was able to upgrade through busting her ass and paying her bills and doing all this kind of stuff. But, you know, sometimes we have these conversations about, like, just being broke. Like, there's some food Bridget legitimately won't eat because she's like, it tastes like being poor. And that... It's a weird concept to me to think of, like, for her to say that, but it's like, like, I remember, maybe this is why I really don't fuck around with, like, peanut butter stuff anymore. I'm starting to get back into it, but, like, legitimately, probably 10, 12 years ago, so not really that far removed, a quarter of my, or a third of my life, we were, my friend and I were so fucking broke, we had to go to a food pantry and go get free food. That our roommate, who was too embarrassed to go stand in that line and go be with those people to get a helping hand, a hand out. So we went in that line, and sometimes I felt bad. Like, I was like, you know, like, we're trying to make ends meet between all of us, but it just isn't happening for us. But, like, there are some single families come in with, like, three, four, five kids, and it's, like, one one adult. And, like, I kind of feel bad. Like, I'm like, man, maybe, like, I, I don't need this. But, like... I remember legitimately having nothing to eat, and so I ate peanut butter and fucking pie crust for, like, three or four days. And had to ration that shit out, because, like, that's all we had. Now, I understand I put myself in that situation to a degree, but I didn't sign up to basically live that life. Like, I thought I was going out there to better myself, and, like, we all collectively face some fucking hardships. You know, shit real. That shit still is not lost on me. Like, when I go out to, like, a fucking nice dinner or something, and I, we, you know, collectively, my wife and I might drop, like, you know, $60, $70 between the two of us having some good drinks and some good food, I, I think I am able to appreciate it more because, like, I had that shit where it was like, yo, what do you want to eat today? You open the cupboard, fucking pie crust and peanut butter. What else are you going to eat? I got nothing, man. Fucking air sandwiches. <laughs> And it's like, you know, so sometimes, like, I feel like we're able to appreciate that, uh, that a lot more. And, like, the fact that where we are now is at a point where it's like, you know, we're able to take trips. And, like, you know, I, I just recently saw my grandfather, who I haven't seen in probably four or five years at least. And, you know, he was making the comments to me. He was like, oh, man, I'm really proud of you that you and your wife are traveling and you're seeing the world and you're getting these, like, new experiences that a lot of people either don't want to take or they just take for granted or something I, I don't know and to me it was like I mean dude I'm just I went to Atlanta to go see a baseball game and then I went and saw a football game or I went here and all I did was like go eat barbecue and, and just 
experience some of the local flavor over there. But I mean, like, you know, as like now we got our passports and we're talking about going to like overseas and like seeing some real shit that a lot of people probably will never want to do and will never experience. Like, I think of the experiences that people are robbing themselves of. And it isn't like a whole lot of work is required to do some of these things. But I think it's just that you want like at a certain point, you got to want more out of your life than what maybe is presented to you. And I mean, I guess I realized we kind of like went down a really weird tangent over here. But I think the thing is, though, and like something that you and I like, this is kind of what we talk. This is what you and I talk about when we like talk without the microphones. You know, we just talk about like there's no pretentiousness there's no i'm better than you there's no oh i'm white so i have these fucking experiences and you're black and you never will i think honestly like i identify more with you and have since i've known you because of the shared experiences that we have like being fucking broke having even when i've lived here with you a couple only probably five years removed at this point being broke because we both had part-time jobs working for the same fucking company that fucking worked us to death because <laughs> they didn't fucking give us shit they man. didn't give us shit and like we were unfortunately at the, the the fool's errands of being like well if I bust my ass and work hard then they're gonna reward me no motherfucker they're gonna expect that out of you and pay you fucking the same amount or less than I'm gonna go ahead else. and drop a name we was working at fucking Sam's Club you know some people can prosper off of other people's hard work, and apparently we were just those people that people piggybacked off of. Like, I remember, case in point, I remember at one point, I was the front-end manager, and Derek was one of my cashiers, and he banged out a bunch of credit card applications and a bunch of other shit, and I remember telling him, I was like, you're a fucking fool. He goes, why? I fucking killed the game today, and I was like, no, you did, and you know what? Thanks. You made me look real good. Man, I kid you not, man. My silly ass. So, after this happens... I fucking some weeks pass or however fucking long I have an off day and I didn't sell no credit cards anybody who done been in Sam's Club done been attacked by credit card salesmen so I, I didn't get none off that day man they treated me like the motherfucking scum on the street man like I about got written up for the shit and it was just like at that moment where I was like and then I had to write them up career decisions like you know, I mean I was 18 at the time you know we know I've been cashiers probably or pushed some carts but it was <laughs> shit like that to where I was like yeah I gotta get up out of this it was just it, it, it's interesting because in that situation like you know I'm trying to find a way to to build the people around me to be a good team like not everybody and this is kind of really bringing it back to where we just were but it's like you know we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago at this point where basically I was saying like you know a perfect example was like I would spend an hour or so with everyone on the one-on-ones and while I would get in trouble for spending too much time trying to build my team and finding the strengths and weaknesses of each individual it turned into this thing where like I got results at everyone when they were on my ship because I knew how to position them with other people who were stronger in other categories like maybe you're my fucking plus guy but somebody else is like my credit card person alright well I'm going to put you two together and I'm going to have you bang out plus and credit like left and right Coincidentally, what they became known as, because uh, we didn't want people to <laughs> to know that they were basically being sold and that we were like profiting off of these people like doing these things. But I mean, it is what it is. It is a, a, a big box corporation. But the thing was, though, is I remember telling Derek, you know, I was like, man, like the problem is now is now like it, it's like a fucking Icarus game. Like you either fly too close to the sun and melt your fucking wings of wax and fucking plummet. You gotta be like a what was the other dude? Not Icarus. And, uh, I can't remember the, the father's name. 
whoever the fuck is yeah dad whatever was. his name is uh basically you know like he taught his son you don't fly too low so your your wings don't work and you don't fly too high so the wax doesn't melt but basically you just coast and like I had learned that game and when I got to the CS shit I was like alright I'm not responsible for this shit like when I hop on a register I just fucking bust out lines and that's my job but like I try to f- tell people like I would try to tell people I'm like hey like don't don't overly be good at your job because then you're not gonna get rewarded with anything other than being like, hey, today you were the fucking all star. Tomorrow, like you're a fucking. Scum. And a like, year later, you might fuck around, run into twenty five cents, maybe. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you might get your money up. Yeah. So it was one of those things where I think at a very, very, that in a nutshell, I think is is very much like what I see the rat race that people like in our age are in, where it's like you don't necessarily get rewarded for, like, your hard work. And what's funny is both you and I, around the same time, went from busting our asses in in that particular job to then kind of, like, finding side hustles that we were both passionate about, like, both collectively in music, even though you were more going into the focus of being an actual artist and, and expressing yourself, whereas I felt that I was... had so many people I knew that were really good and, and very something that a lot of people needed to see. Like, I would find bands and I'd be like, more people need to hear about this band or this group or this artist or whatever. And I and maybe by me putting my knowledge of how to book shows and, and having the contacts of venues and so forth, maybe I can help these people get a little bit further, get, get a little bit more of a reach than they may currently have. And whether that happens or not, I don't know. I just know how, like, when I feel when I go see a good show, that, like... I get energized and I'm like, man, that was like, that's my new favorite band and I can't wait to show people this, this shit that like touched me. So Dude, if I can do that to a room full of people, it's got to feel even better. Like perfect example, like the benefit we just put on for Sarah because she had, you know, some stuff going on. There are a lot of people who hadn't seen me on stage in a while or had ever seen me before. Basically, everybody in attendance had never really seen me before. You hadn't even seen me before you had heard about me. So you know I was uh, doing my thing. Not entirely true because you did two uh, rap for stacks that I'd seen yet. Yeah, but that I feel like that was more like the first two times you performed, and then I hadn't seen you since. So you know what like, I'm saying? So like that was real early. So like it was like it. it was like basically I had to go get my bars up, and then for me to do that thing we did at Tip Top, it was basically I had people coming up to me all night, and even after that, on some you know I've never seen you before, but it's like holy shit! Next time you're doing something, hit me up. Here's my info whoa this was amazing all this kind of shit you know there's some people who have never seen me before so it's like that you, you definitely right man it's just a lot of people here it's a lot of talent here in gr area surrounding too just my experience there's a lot of talent here in grand rapids that a lot of people haven't seen this is about i guess coordinating and maybe working harder together to get the city on what's interesting though is like i i don't really think you see me work in that that realm either so it was a very interesting lesson for both of us to see like how much we've grown because i think maybe the last thing you would have seen me do might have been the show i proposed to at bridget i don't know if you were there i wasn't there the last thing i saw you do was a house show okay it was it was you know what i'm saying here at the house so but it was fucking packed so but i mean was, that's, that's yeah. very much a, a very shared experience like the last thing i saw you do was something where more or less the it's like a in the the band version of it is like a battle of the bands where you hustle tickets for somebody else they profit off of your hard work or a handful of people's hard work like i know that fucking hustle in that game and it sucks that's why when you were doing it i was like that's probably gonna determine how you do so i'll play the game and like i'll gather some people to come out and support you and and all that but like 
watching it, it's like, you know, it's a packed room, and I think for someone trying to, you know, get their footing in that, that scene, however small it may be, really, locally, it's still a good stepping stone to, to get where you need to go. And so for you to see, like, how I do shit at a house show, where it, which is, you know, it's kind of very... I run my house shows, I think, way different than most people do, because I run it like a legitimate show. Like, shit needs to be on time, shit's happening, like, it is what it is. And so for you to kind of... us to reconnect on something a few years later, where it's like, you know, like, now I've worked with some of the bigger venues here in town, I've kind of, like, I've made mistakes, I've learned from them, I've learned how to do stuff, and even though this is a benefit show, it was thrown together really quickly... I think with about a week or so to go. And, like, the thing I knew I wanted to do was have people involved with Sarah that knew her personally because it would make it more in line with what was going on. Like, a f- a friends rallying around a friend that needed help. And, and, dude, it was awesome. Like, that very feeling was everything that was in the room, dude. It was, yeah, it was definitely exactly that, what we got from it. Yeah, I can... It was really weird, because, like, I remember looking around and seeing, like, your family and friends showing up, and, like, what was interesting was, like, they were relatively supportive of the other artists that were performing, even though I know that probably was not anything that they listened to on a weekly, monthly, <laughs> yearly basis. Uh, but that was the thing that, like, really drew me to that, was, like, everyone was supportive of everybody. And it reminds me, and, and again, reinstilled in me, like, man, like, our local scene can be something really awesome. It just needs the right people in the right places to kind of help spark the change. Because to me, like, I guess, like, hip-hop shows are different. Like, you can have four four MCs or, or groups or whatever, and everyone brings something different. But the problem is, still, is, like, if you're all within the, the hip-hop R&B umbrella, then you're only reaching out to those demographics. And I feel like it's it's really tough to try to have a multi-layered show where it's like you got a little bit of something for everybody and maybe everyone walks away being a fan of the other thing because it's just it's you know it's rightly placed where it needs to be to to hit and it really bummed me out when I thought I had a good lead on getting you a a night once a month or something there because like you said there was so much positivity and, and positive feedback on that night that I was like man like there's not really anywhere for our local hip-hop scene to go right now because everyone is and kind of going back to what we were saying earlier because there's there's a negative stigma attached to hip-hop shows well the bartenders don't like working then because they don't get paid because people don't tip and they don't order anything other than just you know insert whatever cliche drinks here and sometimes fights break out so people don't like having them because they don't like the liability of their shit like this is stuff I hear as someone who books like oh don't ever work with these people again and my thing is always like maybe you just didn't set it up correctly maybe you set it up to fail and if you expected like it's like that thing of perception like if you expect to have a shitty time you're probably gonna have a shitty time like I don't ever walk into a show going like man this is gonna suck I always walk into it like expecting the best and like if you put the work in and know, like, man, I'm excited to have so-and-so on, like, I'm so excited, like, if I were to put it together a show and it'd be like, oh, man, I have my man Julius and Convotronics on this show, and I got, you know, Derek, and I know, like, what he does, and I know, like, those two, like, are, are not the same, but, like, I think they're gonna appreciate what each other do, and, and the messages that they put behind their music, like, I'm gonna put these two these two people together. I definitely agree, but it's, like, also a little bit, it kind of comes down to, like, damn he just hit me up to want to do this show i gotta make sure one i come correct and anybody who i have come representing me or trying to show support you know come in the mindset of 
basically don't fuck this up for me because <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to grow here. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's about having the right crowd and having the right people behind you to where it's like we can all have a good time and all do our thing, but you know, we don't got to come out here and fuck shit up. Have you, I mean, anything I've seen that you've been on, I don't really find that vibe at all. That's because the people I try to work with, I try to work with people similar to myself, even though like you, you similar to me in thought, but it's like, like you saying, it's way different genres of stuff you work with. So it was like, I was definitely the wild card for the show that you put on at Tip Top. And I, you know, people ended up liking what I did, but it was, um, I've I've had a majority of good experiences, but I also have had a show to where it was like, I'm going to do my set and I'm going to get out of here because, you know, shit is a little sketchy or it's like people out here acting a fool, a little too turned up. I'm going to do my thing and then bounce. So it's like, you'll have that. But I think that all kind of falls back on what are we coming together for? What are we doing? And you know what I'm saying? You got to keep that in mind. So we've talked about a little bit about your upbringing and kind of like the influences of, of you and how you came to be the person you are. We talked a little bit about kind of race inequality a little bit, I think, because I think that is a big part of who you are as an artist. And, and maybe like I'm misreading that, but I definitely think it's something that you, you strive to, to, to make note of. Like, I mean, you, you made a comment about the Oxford gang, which is like your group of friends and you guys, I don't think there's any women in the group, right? Uh, yes, and no, officially, but it's definitely women who like to just and take part in what we do, or okay. you know, support us or be a part of what we got going on. But it's like I don't have any per se female talent who is like working with us all the time. No. Okay. <laughs> so it's one of those things. Like my grandmother, uh, when whenever we go out, and it's something that's always kind of been instilled in me. Uh, you don't say like you guys. You always say, like, if there's women around, it's like, how, you know, how would you all, or how is everyone? Like, you address the group, not not just the collective, like, whatever, and be, like, a dismissive of, like, the women that are in the group. So that's why I was starting to say, like, it's you, it's it's a group of guys, like, your friends. And then I was like, well, maybe there's women in there. I don't know. Because uh, she would make a big deal. Like, we'd be out at a restaurant, and she'd be like, I don't know about the guys, but us women would, like... You like, know, oh, right, shit. right. All right. But it's, uh, it's one of those things where... You know, I see like what, you, what collectively you as a group are doing, and it's it's different. Like I, I feel like there has been this this not just in in your subset, I would say as a as a culture, but it's something I've noticed that there seems to be a, a sense of pride in oneself collectively that people are having where it's like we went through this weird thing and it still exists here in, in like East Grand Rapids where we have people who dress up like they have no fucking money but are fucking loaded and I don't get it like I don't understand what looking poor you know I don't understand this whole like oh man like the system's against us nah motherfucker you probably got like a couple of like commas in your fucking you know you can afford the fucking system like like, you don't need to drink drink PBR because like you're broken it's like all you can afford like you can probably go and be like oh what's that 18 year McCallum like oh it's you know what I'm saying like I'll take that like I know people are out here like bullshitting with like their their finances and shit and that's fine like if that's what you want to do then fine do you but my thing is there seems to be a, a stronger sense of like taking responsibility and taking pride in who you are and and not only having it be in your knowledge of what you know but also in your outward appearance and it seems like you you all have been on the the press 
preface, Jesus Christ, I've been drinking too much, and I smoke too much, thank you. Uh, you've been on the, the, the preface, Jesus Christ. The precipice. Thank you. <laughs> smoke me stupid. Um, but you guys started that, and I'm starting to notice others are following you, and I kind of feel like this thing where I'm like, I wish more people would follow more positive trends like that, where it's like, be, it's not being cocky that you know something. Sometimes knowing something is actually something you should should be excited about and be like, yeah, I know this shit. Sometimes people do come across like they think they're better than you, and that, that is whatever. But there's nothing wrong with, with being confident in who you are and knowing what you know. And knowing that a lot of it is due to the fact that you busted your ass to get all of these things. Like I was saying a little bit earlier with like Bridget and I like and where we came from. So... It's kind of refreshing to see you and your collection of friends, like, who are kind of, like, changing the game, while also changing the game not only in your professional lives, but then, and now we'll kind of segue into, you know, in the last handful of years, like, you decided to get into to, to rap and hip-hop or whatever, however you want to classify it, because some stuff you have is more leaning R&B style, and some stuff is more straight-ahead rap and so right. forth. So, what made you... Because, I mean, some people start and they're like, oh, man, when I was, like, nine, I was, like, trying to rap. And I was, like, you know, just trying to emulate the people I was into. Whereas for for you, from my perspective, it seems like it was kind of a, a late-to-the-game kind of thing. Like, you were deciding in your mid-20s, well, I guess you're 26, so in your early 20s, that you were like, okay, like, I want to try to do this thing. What made you want to do it and how much of everything you had gone through that we have kind of already talked about? is really, like, what made you want to influence your lyrics and so forth. See, I'm glad you asked this question. I'm, I'm, I got, I'm, See, I got, I got better. See, this is you know, I'm glad I set again. myself up for this. And it's like, uh, honestly, what it was for me was um, growing up, firstly, before I was even cognizant of the type of music I was listening to, I was raised on, you know what I'm saying, the OJs or Earth, Wind & Fire, you know the fucking Motown. You know BGS Motown. All these, all those groups. That's the thing I, I would hear before I was even cognizant of what I was listening to. You know the Spinners. I'll be around. That's one of my favorite old school songs. I just you know hear it in my mind constantly growing up in the house, booming through the house when I grew up. So to go from that to where you know I'm listening to Rock Him, Nas, Cormega, Big Pun. You know what I'm saying? All these cats, Mob Deep, constantly in my you know when I was coming up. So. Just fast forward from in my early years in the 90s, because I was born in 91, to when that was more relevant to when I went through what I like to call my hip hop baptism when I was 17, 18, 19, basically through the rest of my high school career from 17, 18 and early college. I was, you know, listening to all this 90s hip hop hardcore to where it was like everybody else was listening to more. Little Wayne style stuff or more newer stuff. That's where you get into more of the basically this this whack rap shit, man. You get into this this mumble rap, this this kid bullshit, man. I come from lyricism and substance, so my peers are listening to that, you know, shaking their ass to that, and I'm just, you know, what I'm saying, <laughs> filling my mind and ears with this Nas, with this Big Pun, with this Cormega, with this Rock Kim, with this Half a Mill, you know what I'm saying, even. 
but it's it's recent cats that kick back to that style too that I listen to like you know rest in peace to Stack Bundles he's one of my favorite artists you know what I'm saying Lupe Fiasco doing his thing now and even those cats influence me Dave East is a I consider him more of a peer even though he in a whole another degree doing his thing don't get me wrong I'm just saying as far as our age group but I like how he doing his thing but I, I listen to his stuff and it's more or less like okay, I like how he did this versus when I'm listening to the older stuff, it's like, damn, these are the people I was raised on. So it's like coming to see that kind of disappear. And it's just now where I notice the hip hop and lyricism coming back around are kind of being more fervent and still holding on. I decided basically I was 17 years old when I really went hard and kind of started structuring my rapping. It was, you know what I'm saying? Uh, y'all know him as Triggs on my tracks. We call him the Oracle Round, you know, at the council table. But my nigga Brandon, you know what I'm saying, was getting me more into it. So you really want to do this shit, I'm going to help you, you know, set up your rhyme scheme and really basically taught me how to rap along what I was listening to. So it was, it's kind of funny to literally when I was 17 years old, not knowing how to catch a beat to some of the stuff I've done now to where I've had people bum rush me report like repeating my lyrics to me like how did you rhyme this with this in this manner oh my god so it's you know ain't even been 10 years in this so just think about it like that and I've made a few strides few strides my bad but it's it's about going harder and further so what I was, have you what have you been able to when you look back now with what you've done are you able to look back at some of some of those artists that you re- you referenced? Are you able to look back and like notice little like tricks or like some nuances that you're like, oh, okay, like I notice like when a beat goes double time here, maybe instead of going double time and trying to showcase how fast he can go, he slows it down and re- like just kind of like little tricks like that, like time signature tricks, like where it's like people have little different nuances and cadences and, and things that make them who they are. Like, do you look back now and go like, oh, shit, this was in front of me the whole time and I just didn't have the tools to understand what I was listening to? Basically, because it's like you'll hear a beat or you'll um, you can be hearing some a song from afar. And just a lot of the times based on the beat or based on what you almost what you hear in a little bit of the lyrics of, you'll know what type of artist. And that sound like some Nas shit or you know what I'm saying? Or you, you might just hear a lyric out of somebody's mouth and based on how it was said, if it was said, how the artist said it you'll probably be able to tell what artist said it because it's like, nah, man, I know kind of they um they content. So it's like, definitely I noticed um the style of beat certain artists would use or the way they would attack certain beats. And I've even sat and tried to dissect certain ad- like albums just for basically study reference on how they structured them or how did they go about this or how did they convey what they wanted to the way they felt it was proper to where years later, I'm still listening to it and it's hitting me like a ton of bricks and i'm just like whoa this is affecting me crazy so it's just definitely um i treat it as like it's it's kind of cool to be a lesson uh, i mean a student of the game as well it's is while i'm trying to also interact and be a part of it what has been one of the more surprising things that has happened to you over the last handful of years of of working like what what has been something that you've been like when you look back and you're like wow I can't believe like I was able to do blank or or has there been like something that you just kind of look back and you're, you're kind of in awe of like something that you've done since doing this, especially having it be so early in, in the, the career of doing this? I will say what have to be things like, like I mentioned from literally just my start and not per se knowing how to attack a beat to being able to pull together a mixtape to being able to go past that and build a, a scheme for my raps or for my mixtape as well. And it's just understanding 
basically those milestones. And I would say, I guess I'll answer this question in a few different ways. But the biggest thing for me would have to be like between starting and one of the tapes on one of my EPs I'm most proud of, Lions, Owls, and Octopuses, all the beasts original. You know what I'm saying? And I was able to attack that in a style to where I brought who I was to it, gave my spin on it, all original beats, but being influenced by my style of hip hop and basically. I think bringing originality to the game in that fashion, even though I want to, you know, push that further and, you know, get that more listened to. I think being able to, in any artist's career, to be able to, this was my first tape or this was my first area when I knew, damn, I, I, I care about this so much. And then also for me, it's like to a point to where I'm so passionate about this to where it's like, I can't not do this now. You know what I'm saying? There are very few other things in my life to where, I felt such an energy from it or a reception from, you know, the people who I consider my peers or who I try to mirror this to. to where it's like, I can't let this go ever. So it's like, and this is definitely one of those things for me. With the few different name changes you've had over the various years of you doing this, what came into or what thought process went into the name change? Like, you start off and you're... I believe you're just William William Lyon, right? Man, honestly, first I went as D Wills. You okay, know, my name. I, I wasn't sure. I, right. I wasn't sure which one came first, and I because I knew one came very quickly after the other. But it was like trying to basically attack so many. I need to have all these different things done, but it was starting. So I called myself D Wills in the beginning because Derek Williams, you know, and then I was Williams the Lion for a bunch of different reasons because I have an affinity for I like lions, and it's like being born in Aries. It's like to uh, this uh, man, it's a bunch of offshoot shit I could get into into why I associate the lamb with the lion. You know, I'm not too religious, but I think it's dope to use other concepts that people fall into, not necessarily against them, but to get their fellowship. Because a lot of people fall into this whole, you know, Bible rhetoric, whereas the lamb is in the, the line is shown as Jesus transforming into the, you know, the second coming. And I'm trying to be the second coming to rap where it's like, you know what I'm saying? This real shit done came back. I'm saving the game. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? A little shit like that. Right. And then to, um, but for me, when I ultimately decided, whoa, I want to do a final name change to black canvas. It was basically settling more into my rap character and realizing exactly who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And the reason I chose the name and really being satisfied with hopefully years from now, it's going to be people who know me as this and it's, they're going to receive me as that and understand me as that. So with changing the name to black canvas, like what was interesting is sometimes I feel like I read way too much into to things that you don't, man, because that's that's what I like my listeners to do. And I don't mean to cut you off, but to answer the question, I know you're about to ask me. The reason I call myself Black Canvas is because with a lot of my studies involving, you know, the universe, mathematics, philosophy, hermeticism, Gnosticism, so many different things. You know what I'm saying? Um, black Canvas for me was, you know, when you look up at the stars at night, basically, literally, the, the canvas is set against that. All creation and all possibilities set against this outer space. So, and it's, you know, we don't see that during the day because literally we just point it at the sun, but it's always it's always there. Right. The stars shine against this black canvas. All possibility, all anything is against this. And I kind of like how to be that rap character and have that as my title is to, you know, I can create anything. And it's about, for me, understanding that creation 
is man's. And when I say man's, I mean men and women, literally us on this planet. That's man's greatest power is creation. So I feel like that's dope to basically reference myself as creation in my style of creation, which is hip hop. Well, it's, <laughs> that's not exactly where I was going with it, but I, it wasn't far removed from my question. I was just basically going to say, like, you know, with with black, you know, with white, like, you got to create, like, with a, if it was a white canvas, referring to this in, in terms of art, if you have a, a blank canvas, as it were, usually it's always white, there's, you got to place a foundation, you got to, you got to do a lot to get to a starting point, really, with that canvas, and so, and what limited aspects of art that I'm aware of, because I enjoy art, but I'm not very... I'm not very good at painting and, and a lot of that stuff. Like, I had an art class and I did pretty fucking terrible at it. But when you came out with Black Canvas, I was like, you know, a lot of things... You can start... Like, Black is a great starting point. Like, you can do a lot of great things and, and a lot of beautiful things can be seen on a black, can, black canvas because of how it allows things to shine and allows things to... <laughs> and it's like... And it's funny how, like, I may not draw to it, but I like for my fans or my listeners, as I like to say, because, you know, to be able to call somebody a listener, especially in this day and age, means a hell of a lot to me. But I think it's also cool for, like you said, to up some so much beauty can come from a black canvas. I feel like also as a black person, you know, it's you know, we constituted with a lot of the darker you are in this world, the more pain you'll receive. And it's like literally just our history as black people is you know, fucking filled with pain and, you know, abuse and all this kind of things. And it's about rising above all that. And I think it's just pushes more towards the what I'm trying to do. It's like as an artist, as a young black person, as so many things, I want to be, you know, beautiful. Yeah. No, I I I feel like I get a lot of that. And, and even like I was just kind of saying, like, I felt like when the name came, I was trying to think of what does it mean in a, in a very literal sense? How do I take it as someone who's listening to your music? Because unfortunately, like I tried as much as I try not to. As much as I try not to, to prejudge something before I hear it, especially when it comes to music. Unfortunately, when you hear a name, when you hear something like that, there's certain connotations that pop up in your mind and things that you associate with them. Like, I remember when Bridget was like, I'm all about this dude Post Malone. And I was like, okay, what the fuck is that? Because, like, she listens to a lot of that, like, mumble rap bullshit. That dude, and it's funny. I think Post Malone talked about it in an interview where I don't even think he was referring to, you know, Malone in the Post coming through with them dunks on niggas. But it's, like, dope to, you know... Post Malone. I'm alone in the post. I'll punch it on niggas. That's dope. You know? That's dope, man. It's funny you say that because she goes, well, he's he's got that song. He's got that song. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, he got that song about that basketball player who didn't win a ring. I was like, Carl Malone. Like, that's his fucking thing. Post Malone. (laughs) Like, I figured that's what he was talking about. And then when I listened to that, that White Iverson, before I knew it had a name, but she just kept talking about this Post Malone, and he loves basketball, and he's rapping about basketball players. He's like, well, his fucking name is probably Carl Malone, the Postman. Like, yeah, okay, I get it. And he didn't win a ring. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, And I thought that was, like, his whole gimmick was that he was, like, rapping about Carl Malone's career, and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, are we going to get to the L.A. Lakers period where he, like, signed up with the glove, and then you're going to have, like, Glove Malone or something? You like, know what I'm saying? And then, uh... But then, like, I heard White Iverson, and I was like, oh, shit, like, you know, it's very funny, like, I was, I was recently 
just like two days ago, re-listening to the, the Thank Me Now record that Drake put out, and then Take Care, which I, I think, I mean, as he's gone on with his career, I think like he's, whether he has ghostwriters or not, I feel a couple of different ways about that, but regardless, I think like you listen to those first like couple of records, like Thank Me Now, or Thank Me Later, whatever the hell that record is, that, you, that mixtape that he put out, and then Take Care, like there's some stuff on there, you know, there's like a lyric where he's like talking about how like, uh, music and sports are so synonymous because they want to be them and we want they want to be us. And like I, I was thinking, like when it came to Post Malone, like I think he's like one of the few people that really like, with, especially with Lloyd Iverson, where he was able to relate hip hop and music to the struggles of like trying to be a musician, an independent musician, trying to come up in 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 that game. And it's so. And the crazier thing about Post Malone is like that dude came from like my world of like hard rock and metal and shit and then like decided to go down this other this other realm of like whatever the fuck like trap rap like rap or whatever and then you got like it's kind of weird because like uh, an old friend like a friend of mine who's in another local like hip hop group here like he's always like showing me shit that I'm like what the fuck is this like he was he was like oh have you ever heard of Little Peep and I was like, <laughs> I was like what the fuck is that and he goes he goes, I was like, like the marshmallow candies? And he goes, no, no, it's this rapper dude who, like, he, like, takes, like, trap beats and puts, like, like Morrissey-type style, like, raps over them, like, rapping about emo-type shit. And I was like, what? Wow. Like, that makes no sense. And then I listened to it, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. I don't know that I like it, but I don't hate it. And, I mean, that dude just died, like, uh, five days ago. Yeah. Um... And, like, now everyone's like, oh, who the fuck's this little peep dude? I heard about that dude about eight months ago through my friend, through my coworker. But then, like, he showed me, like, dudes, like, little Uzi Vert and, like, all this shit. And I was like, when did little become the thing again? Like, dude, I feel like... It's know, like, I don't know if it's the the washout of everybody who followed <laughs> after Wayne. And, you know, wanted to be little Wayne when they grew up. But uh, sh- you, you see it, dude. I don't but, know. But what's interesting, though, is I feel like, and this is kind of, like, kind of winding down everything, I feel like, you know, like you and I have, that night at the Sarah show, the benefit show that I threw, that you were on, we talked about the things that we are doing right now, you and I. Like, you're doing your rap stuff, like, you got, like, your, your, uh, fuck. I always want to call it the squid and the whale thing, because, because, have you seen that movie, first of all? No, I haven't. Okay, that's a really fucked up movie, but it's got the kid from, uh... It's got Jeff Daniels, who was, like, Dumb and Dumber and, like, a bunch of other movies. He's from Michigan. And then it has Jesse Eisenberg. Hmm. It was, like, an independent movie. And it's just, like, it's wildly weird. And the point of it is, like, at this museum, there's this, like, battle between the squid and the whale. And they kind of talk about, like, oh, who would win and, and so on and so forth. Because each has their own strengths and the weaknesses and... It's just kind of a really weird thing. And there was a band that was from Michigan as well called Squid and the Whale. Um, I don't think they were related <laughs> at all. I don't think they watched the movie like, yeah, we're naming our band after that. Um, so I know it's the octopus and... Yeah, lions, owls, and octopuses. Lions, owls, and octopuses. Okay. But whenever I, whenever I think of <laughs> octopuses and stuff, I always think squid and whales because they're similar. Um, but... We were talking about how, like, because the main platform that you and I both kind of put our, our stuff on is SoundCloud. And SoundCloud has been kind of really interesting because since I ended up putting my podcast on there, I've become a lot more aware of the culture, the SoundCloud kind of culture that, you know, supports itself. Like, you find people, they comment on your stuff or, or you know, they'll share your tracks or, or whatever. 
And, you know, you and I were talking about, like, you know, with the analytics that you can find for on SoundCloud as a, as a content creator, you know, you see, like, oh, my God, like, someone from fucking this country that I'll probably never go to listen to this. And, you know, they commented on and it. And that's and, major, dude. And it's crazy. And it's like, you know, I think about, you know, like, I'm still, we're literally sitting here in my house in my, my newly redone office, and... I'm one of those people that checks my checks my stats all the time. Like, oh, how many listens am I at? Where am I? Where am I getting listens to? So if I decide to spend my money to like, hey, the, I think I got a really good episode. I'm gonna like put some money behind it, try to get some more listens, try to get some more followers. Like that's just kind of the game and the hustle that that, that this is. And you got to pay attention to your analytics because you got to know you. Sam's Club got to know your business. If Sam's Club taught me nothing, you gotta know your business and you gotta know your customers. Yeah. Customers are your listeners and your fans, so you gotta know who they are, where they are, and what they want. So you can kind of keep creating things that are catching. And so like you you were telling me like you were in contact with somebody who was from where? I've been in contact with people from a lot of places, man, but uh most heavily I actually kinda built a relationship with somebody who listens to my music all the way from Man, I'm sorry. I want to say Turkey. Yeah, from yeah, uh, Turkey. It? And, you know, like, I've had people who are from, like, Australian shit. Like, just all over it. And it blows my mind, like, to see some things like that. And I think on a very s- small scale, like, living here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, two people who are just pursuing something that they're interested in. How fucking crazy it is. Dude, I think shit and, it's... Have, and, like, you're building real relationships with people... Who live hundreds of thousands of miles away from you? And I think it's honestly those things that ultimately, if you keep pushing and it, it'll kind of come down to maybe how serious you are, how passionate you are, or how much you want to do, that'll ultimately push you to where you'll end up. Because it's like, I think about it like this. If I hadn't taken up this particular field of study, if you want to call it trying to be, you know, a lyricist in 2017, but <laughs> I would have never per se had those relationships or met those people from Turkey or have people in Canada listening to me or other all these other countries, even though Canada's just up top. But yeah. still, you know what I'm saying? The hundreds of miles I'll never go, people in other states, people I would have never per se been perceived by. You know, and I'm with me being a scholar of many things, I wanna be listened to. Because ultimately, if you possess knowledge and don't share it, it's worthless. So I think to be able to say you have an audience is major. And it's, it definitely means a lot that the lesson in if I wouldn't have undertaken this, I would have never gotten this far. You know what I'm saying? And I think at that point, it just becomes about the message you want to share and what the listener wants to do with it. Because even if it's only one person whose life you influence, even if that's not what you want to do, it just may happen from them taking you in. That may change worlds. You know what I'm saying? It's just, you know what I'm saying? Cause and effect is real. So it's like, you never know what can come of this. So it's just, it is definitely amazing to this year in particular would be my most successful year since 2014, as far as listens. And it's just, that just teaches me to keep pushing because I kind of went into a down period where I swooped down and I had to learn how to attack the game differently and to be, this is my most, this is my second most successful year ever. That just tells me to keep pushing, you know? What, uh, where do you see Black Canvas and or any of the other endeavors that you're getting involved in? Where do you see that going over the next couple of years? Funny thing is, dude, like I said, I'm in school as an electrician. You know, I have a real life job. Whoa. You know, but I'm gonna electrocute these motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Kill these niggas. Blanca. But 
<laughs> but no, man. Um, by the time I'm 29, I'll be in a position where I can go ahead and test for my journeyman. So that's pretty cool because, like I said, no other electricians in my family. But I also notice in the game now with the style of rap I do, most people who are successful with the style of rap I do are actually a bit older now. So it's like with me only being 26, even though that window can, you know, per se close if I want to go super big industry and how old will I be? But however, I still have room for to comfortably chase this and not be in that weird. I'm too old to be doing this bracket, you know, (laughs) and it's just but Jay-Z still doing this shit and he damn near 50. So fuck that. You know what I'm saying? But but he I mean, but that man, you know, that's that dude being one of my favorites of all time, even though a lot of people give him a lot of shit. That dude has had a career that I think a lot of people should aspire to to have because definitely you look at Reasonable Doubt, you look at Volume One. That's a dude coming up. You look at Volume Three and the Black Album. That's a man who has kind of made it at that time what he considered to be successful in the pinnacle of his career and his and his the business mind starting to take place and. Getting to the point where he can't talk about being broken, about how he had to struggle and hustle because now he's made it and he's been making it for a while. Then you look at, I mean, volume three, or not volume three, the Black Arm was kind of the, supposed to be like the, hey, I'm leaving now. Like, I'm leaving the game at the top. And then he came out with that American Gangster record, the soundtrack that he did for that Denzel Washington movie, and that was kind of like a, I'm back. I mean, calling it, you know, American Gangster, Original Gangster, whatever. I think it was American It was Gangster. American Gangster. And it's like, okay, like, you talk about, like, again, like, a, a time where people had to hustle and, and there was, like, sort of a respect behind it. And I haven't even seen that movie, but just from listening to the music, I kind of feel like he really resonated with that time frame. I mean, look at the Reasonable Doubt album cover and look at what, like, time frame, like, American Gangster was set in. Definitely. Very much similar in, in an approach and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to say that... the volume or the blueprint three was necessarily the greatest thing i've ever heard but you got songs like doa death of auto tune and the fact that he's still a purveyor of the the sonic landscape of the hip-hop scene and coming back and showing like i still got it and i still got things to say to then even you know he kind of fell off but i mean sometimes people have that fucking thing people aren't always on in life you're not always on sometimes you have ebb and flows and peaks and valleys and to see Jay be quiet while supporting Beyonce on that Lemonade record, in light of what a lot of that had to talk about and had to deal with, even though there were people who wrote that record and some of those songs and those lyrics that people associated with Beyonce and Jay-Z's relationship, so take that for what it's worth, because a lot of people were like, oh, Bay just fucking shit all over Jay and he didn't say anything. Well, some of those songs weren't written from her about him, it was somebody else, like, uh, I forget what song it was, but there was a lady who wrote it, and she was basically going, like, this is sort of, like, my open letter about the, the, the music industry not taking notice of me and treating me badly and, and, and all these kind of things, like, hmm. telling me how good I am and what my worth is, but then going around and fucking around on me. Okay, Beyonce happened to figure out a way to correlate that to her life and sing the shit out of it and sell it. It is what it is. Then Jade came out with this 444, although I've been really hating everyone being like, oh, it's it's 444. And I'm like, it's a fucking time. It's a time that he woke up and had these lyrics in his head and looked at him and was like, okay, like this is what I'm going to name my album. And it's going to be like an honest, op- real honest look into my right. life. And Like an open letter. Yeah, and I remember when everyone was like, oh, it's 444. And I'm like, 
Is that how you tell time, motherfucker? Like, you look at time and you're like, it's 11-1. No! It's 1-11, you asshole. Like, say that shit right. And that record, though, like, I remember listening to it. We were on our way to Ikea. And that record dropped. And then, like, all the, the JBL or whatever out in Detroit was just playing the whole fucking thing. Just in a constant loop. And I remember, like, Bridget and I listening to that, and I was like, it may not be the best-sounding production-wise album that that dude's ever done, but this is probably the most honest shit he's put out since, like, Reasonable Doubt. That's real, man. And it's just to still be able to continue to, this is my best, this is my best, this is my best, and different aspects, you know, different aspects of best in different ways is just, it's dope to speak to his artistry, to be able to still continue to not fade. You but know. I think I think that showcases very much. I think I think very much that encapsulates encapsulates what we're talking about. Where there's what made you and what inspires you in the beginning, the hustle of trying to be better than than those who came before you, taking what you've learned from others and growing. Volume two, we'll say, to then getting to the point where like you're starting to be successful. Volume three, blueprint. Then you're starting to share the wealth with Kanye and some of these other people, and you're trying to you're trying to bring in other people to rise with you, to build your your, your family and and build your your thing, because like a lot of people, whenever they have success, they want to see the people that help them get there. They want to bring them up with them, and then you kind of get to the point where it's like, okay, like maybe it's just about me, and like I need to be successful. I know with the podcast, like I did a podcast with two other people. Nothing against them. I enjoy the shit out of doing that podcast with them. But it got to the point where if I'm working for three total people, like, hey, man, like, are you coming over tonight? Hey, are you coming over tonight? Hey, let's do this. Hey, here's what we're talking about. Here's what we're doing. If I have enough drive for two other people plus me, then maybe I need to, like, kind of, like, just shed that a little bit and, and focus on me doing my own thing. And I think, like, that's kind of, like, what you were doing and sort of with Jay, like he was trying to put on all these other people, and then it just got to the point where it's like, nah, fuck that. Like, it's just me. Like, I'm gonna ride my own shit, and if you're gonna be there with me, then you're there with me, and if not, whatever. To then to the point of like having everything. You got the wife, you got all these things, but hey, you know what? I got some problems. Right? And I'm still real, and I still need to like be honest with myself and who I am as an artist and as a, who I am as a person. And I think that, I, honestly, even though we didn't set that up, I feel like actually that's a really great thing to encapsulate the whole fucking conversation we've had and that's dope because it's like definitely even though it's you know different degrees i definitely want to be able to structure myself in a way where my listeners and followers can break down and be able to have conversations where they've watched my growth and my what i've done and even whether it was beautiful or ugly to them it was truthful and it was given to them in a way that allowed them to show what i wanted to do with the lifetime of my artistry not just what was hot right now and that's something jay himself has even spoken on where you know people are obsessed with shiny things but you know that real hip-hop don't last yeah so a thing we like to do i always say we like it's it's someone other than me It's like I, I can't take responsibility for the thing I do, and I always have to say a, a collective we. But I always uh, end these episodes with a song. So what would you like me to end this with and give a little explanation as to why? Can I would have to say... Can be somebody else's, doesn't matter. All right, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and plug myself. You know, we all out here working, <laughs> you know. But I would have to say end this with um, Don't Follow Me. That's a track by, you know, me, Black Canvas, and my cousin Triggs. Uh, you know, uh, 
collective of pack animals, the Roxford Gang. And that track to me is definitely a, a big representation of who I am and what I want to do with this rap. But it's also big in showing the ideas I try to encompass and the different schools of thought I'm about and the, and the ideas I want to ultimately share over the career I want to try to build. So I would say Don't Follow Me by Black Canvas featuring Triggs. Cool. Well, thank you very much again for coming over and doing this for a second time. Hopefully this one I think was I think this one was better. Definitely. But you know, <laughs> if it's another reason to come over here, drink Bombay and smoke blunts, we find it. So you know. <laughs> well, we gonna cheers out of this one. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming over. Thank you for having me. And we will uh see you next week. So that was my conversation with Derek Williams, a.k.a. Black Canvas. Uh, a little bit about the audio on that one. I know it was a little bit quiet uh, throughout the whole thing. Uh, as I said in my intro and in last week's podcast episode, getting to know this new microphone setup and all that kind of stuff uh, took a little bit of time, and this was the first that I had actually gotten to use the microphones with someone live in the house. And so I thought everything looked good levels-wise, but apparently it did not record my end very well. Uh, I have obviously since figured out how to do all that kind of stuff with the new interface and, and the new microphone setup. Uh, but I kind of fixed everything in post as much as I could. And I think I did a decent job. I listened to everything. And when I listened back to it, it sounds pretty good. Um, could be a little bit louder, but it is what it is. I didn't want to have to redo this episode for a third time uh, due to my own technical difficulty or I should say inability. Uh, with all that being said, though, uh, the, the fun thing about this conversation was this really wasn't any different than a conversation Derek and I would normally have here in the house over some drinks and playing some records. And I think that's the fun thing about doing a podcast, especially with friends, is that you just kind of get a sense of it being like a fly on the wall. And the only difference really would be that I wouldn't necessarily ask him so many like, what made you get into hip hop and blah, 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 like... Um, I have asked him some of the questions that I asked him this before as far as like some of the influences and, and what about these influences or why he likes them and so forth. But I think as a whole, there's really not a whole lot that's not something we would just randomly talk about without a microphone being in front of either of our faces. So I really want to thank Derek for coming over and, and kind of having a conversation and an honest conversation about a lot of different things. Um, I think it was a lot better than the last one. I think me having spent... Ugh, probably another half year doing this uh, really helped kind of keep it a little bit more cohesive than the last one where I was trying to be a little more locally themed with some of the things I was asking. Um, all that being said, if you would like to follow Derek, though, you can follow him on Facebook at facebook.com back slash black canvas that's b-l-k-c-n-v-s you can follow him on instagram at dreads and threads that's dreads underscore and underscore threads you can find him on youtube it's not a specific url uh it's a generated one when he created the page so i would say just be best to look up black canvas either b-l-k-c-n-v-s or black canvas b-l-a-c-k-c-a-n-v-a-s uh, he's also on SoundCloud. You can find him at soundcloud.com backslash blackgr. That's B-L-K-G-R, not the word black, all the way spelled out. 
Uh, also want to give the plug for the socials for Moshpit Nation, who present this podcast to you now week in and week out. You can find us at moshpitnation.com. You'll actually start seeing the podcast on the website. should be under its own little pull-down menu, and then you'll find the podcast. Go ahead and click that and peruse around on the website. You might actually find some awesome band interviews outside of what I'm doing, as well as album reviews and show reviews and just anything kind of going on. Uh, as I said last week, we are expanding and trying to just create a lot of different content that's not just about being a local Grand Rapids Michigan metal band or a Michigan metal band at all. Uh, and I think it's a really great time to go check out that page, and we're constantly trying to update and create new content. And uh, this podcast is is uh, one of those things that they are trying to branch out and start doing. So glad to be a part of the Moshpit Nation family, even though this episode isn't about rock isn't about rock or metal but is about a local hip-hop artist here in the grand rapids michigan area but i think the nice thing about not only jen who runs moshpit nation myself and i would say almost anybody else that contributes to moshpit nation as a whole is that we are into a wide variety of things uh, i know jen in the past year or so has gone to see tech nine has gone to see aesop rock has gone to see a lot of different stuff i know like this year i personally went and saw bone thugs and harmony when they were in town uh, I've gone to a couple of country shows, so I think uh, variety is a, a nice spice of life, and I think we all need to keep an open mind when it comes to not only music, but just experiences in general that we could have. Um, you never know what's going to happen when you go try something new, so maybe if you are a rock and roll person listening to this and you're like, eh, I don't know, but that dude sounded pretty cool, go to go to Derek's uh, socials and go check out his music and uh, maybe you'll find a new artist that you really enjoy and can support a local artist on top of that. You can also find them on Twitter and Instagram at MoshPitNation, all one word, simple enough. Uh, if you would like to follow me across the socials, you can find me at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Johnson's Title Podcast. You can tweet at me at Johnson's Title Pod, and you can email me at johnsontitlepod at gmail.com. Going to end this episode as we always do with a song, and as you heard Derek say at the very end, uh, he wanted to use his song Don't Follow Me featuring Triggs. So without further ado, we are going to end this episode with that song. This is Don't Follow Me featuring Triggs. Talk to you next week. Genius, playboy, get money and philanthropist. We iron men and wallaby moccasins, baptized in the fires of sin. Came out the forge, trying to get back to the source. Jump off the porch, now I'm about to go in. In the Bemis mobile, cause we traded keys. Switch back at the gala before we leave. I might hit Chicago and get a sweet. Bring some weed bag, a bitch who don't know I'm a beast. Girl, don't follow me. Until I count to three, hide and seek, masked up like Halloween. Follow my voice, whisper her name in her ear, and it always just make a scream. 
on the scene, ain't no stunt doubles Clean up real good, but the same hustle Pack animals, it's the same muscle Ride for my fam, it's the same Fuck you, they think we the mob Might as well be it If it's gon' snow, then we might as well ski it The people need us, we might as well Jesus Ha! Make new believers, no church in the wild These temples and man, no ink on these pages My dog understand Mystery school and these niggas My religion was breaking down mathematical plans Dancing with mommy, smoke zombie in trance Wink to the Kenfields if ever I land Whipping this bitch like a free slave No, they never gon' never gon' catch me again I opened my mind to the universe Saw myself in the dark and the truth emerged He was unmoved by the movement Studied the blueprint, he never swerved Threw me the keys, told me that's my word I woke up out the trance, about to put in work A new school of thought when I spit this verse A narrow path through the universe Don't follow me Mystery school master or the cash flow Travel down the narrow path, squeeze through the doorway But you wouldn't understand that though Came from the 80s, I don't recall that shit In the 90s, saw niggas do crack flips Just a kid in the field doing backflips But I was on that block where that pack lift a nigga off his feet Turn him to a god in the street Putting that hard on the street You can't be a hero trying to put niggas on Cause their ego is too hard to defeat I seen niggas turn snitch, turn bitch Other niggas got robbed when they got a job me in the company, we never running. Nigga, act like you want it, tell you Fortune 500. Welcome to the dark side, flight hunting. All we do is get money, fuck bitches, make plans, break bread, shake hands with real niggas. Putting in work like field niggas. Don't follow me, don't follow me. If you don't like what you see, no apology. And if you try to see what's inside my head, you gon' meet a real nigga psychology. But you probably not ready far as I can see. Me and you, that's a huge dichotomy. Your bitch in my face, and she probably gon' swallow me. Nigga, like I said, don't follow me The earth on tilt, pack animals leaning Sun shining, that's the way that we beaming Live through the night, grind all day Drink away the pain, trying to chase away our demons Don't follow me Connection was destined, we overtook My slide doing forms, excuse my rook It's chest for the castle, we plot like crooks Like those set gays hiding from the sun rays I don't always go dark, sometimes they'll be cool I role play with your bitch, but don't act the fool Gatsby on these bitches, then switch my boot Zoom, bullet like God when he shot me They ain't never seen this much soul in the body Dress hang, that's the power coming from inside me Cause I'm riding with me, I don't ever go without him That's God to God against the odds Beginning to end, so hot that we cast barrage On the sands of time, dying for dying Till niggas come up, then we going jaw for jaw Star for star in these galaxies Square for square, checking these degrees Fine, wide for this isosceles And we can build it all, such simple things Engage creation, affairs with greatness Pull up, then I spit it like a wine tasting Heard it from the grapes through the vine Just wait, raise a glass to remember the time Taking it back to my focus Grabbing my motors, dollar touch and fold Like the leaves of the lotus Back out the tin, I don't wanna be noticed I'm beaming my eyes, I can see when I close them Closing the distance, the time is approaching Humping my games when these lyrics are spoken Lupe throwing targets back at his spit Got me swinging my sword for my sheath Then open, I'm gone on these niggas My canvas, star shining, contrasting my black I see this shit different, I'm in my fistfinger with double vision getting blasted Only last when I'm with family, very few who understand me That's 
shit might swallow me I might never be the same Don't follow me Don't follow me <laughs>